turn in your Bible to the book of 1 John, the book of 1 John. We'll just look at one verse today. We're not really moving through this, this passage or this, uh, this book necessarily, but we're hitting the topics that are in this book. And we're going to use 1 John chapter 3, verse 13, as a catalyst today to jump into the subject that we've been looking at. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 13 says this, Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray your blessing upon the reading of your word. Lord, I pray your blessing upon the expounding of this word. This is not my word. May your word speak. May your word just be clear. And then, Lord, we pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in our life to illumine our your word and to make it clear how we are to uh, apply these things to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a, a clear distinction between the Christian and the world. And we see it all through Scripture. Um, a clear distinction at the moment of conversion, at the moment that we are saved, that, that we turn from our sinfulness in repentance and turn to Christ in faith, there's a, a change that takes place. Christ said that we're born again. Paul said that we're born from above even. And, and that... There's a distinction then at that moment. A whole new person is there. There's a spiritual rebirth. Spiritual life. New hungers. New uh, drives and affection and loves. New value system. New direction in life. Even in its infant stage, a baby Christian we would say, all of the components are there. It just needs to grow. There needs to be nourishment so that that little uh, new life can flourish, but all of the components, it ha- uh, has the new capacity, the ca- all the capacity is there, just the, the, the growth that needs to take place. There's the distinction, this passage says, there's the distinction between the Christian and the world. And we've been looking at that, that's the topic uh, that we've been looking at, that distinction. That distinction that makes makes it evident that God has worked. That God is at work in the life. There's, there's evidence of genuine saving faith there. Um, when I was growing up, we liked to find these books of Finding Waldo. And it would be a big, big book, right? And Waldo had specific characteristics uh, uh, a striped shirt, red and white. Uh, he had a, a toboggan on, red and white toboggan striped, and these blue jeans on. And you would have to find Waldo in a busy picture, in a big picture, very busy, and you'd have to find Waldo in this. And you'd have to look for those certain characteristics. And that's what we're trying to do. We're looking for the characteristics of a believer. What does a genuine believer look like? How do we know that God has worked in our life? 
Now, John goes on to say, he uses this as, as evidence in the believer's life there. So there's a, a test, but it also gives assurance to the believer. In the last chapter, in chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life, that you can know. You can have confidence that you have eternal life. That's what he wants. He's wanting that assurance in our heart. And then chapter 1 and verse 4, he he gives us another uh, angle on why he's writing this. These things I've written to you so that that our joy may be made complete. Your joy and our joy may be made complete. We have that assurance, that confidence then, that we are believers, that we are destined for eternal life, and that produces within the believer a joy, a joy uh, in that life, confidence to move forward. Now, there's some dangers here. There's a couple of dangers that I want to point out here. First of all, is that um, this is not just a list of things that we're trying to conform to. Okay? I'm not just listing these, and there's 11 of them. I'm not just listing these things so that you can look at these 11 things and, and then try to adapt your life to those things. That's not the idea. This is evidence of the Holy Spirit working in the life. That's the point. It's not a, a new belief system that I just have to believe these things and I'm good, or do these things, then I'm good. That's just self-effort, isn't it? That's just man-made. Anyone can contrive those things in their own life. You you can engineer those things in your life and make those things to be be there, but you're just fooling yourself. It's not a work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, at some point, we'll stand before the Lord and He's going to say, Depart from me, I never knew you. You're just fooling yourself. I never had that relationship with you. I never worked in uh, your life in that way. There's another danger here. Is that we have a, a counterfeit Christianity. And one of the reasons I want to do this and flesh out what salvation is. And the distinctions of the true believer. Is that there's this counterfeit kind of Christianity that's going on it's a, a sub kind of Christianity. It's not real Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. And they have this philosophy today that that they want to uh, the the church to be like the world, to win the world. It's a whole philosophy to to be like the world so that you can win the world, uh, so that they see no difference between us and the world. But nothing really has worked. Nothing really has. And the Holy Spirit hasn't really worked in our life. No real distinction. No real clear um, evidence there. They just kind of merge. Oh, we're just like everybody else. But that's not what you see in Scripture, is it? Especially in First John. You don't see that at all. In fact, really throughout the New Testament, you see a clear distinction between the Christian and the world. And we're not to minimize that. That gives evidence that the Holy Spirit has worked. That's the, that's the real proof of the Holy Spirit. It's not the craziness that you see from the charismatic movement. It, it's the evidence of a miracle taking place in a person's life. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And again, we, we'll stand before the Lord and, and we can say, uh, has the, and he'll, he'll, uh, 
He'll say, the Lord hasn't worked in your life. Depart from me. And he'll say, uh, I never knew you. And that's a dangerous thing. And so we don't want to be those who are fooling ourselves. We want to see a clear distinction. We want to see that there's evidence in our life that there is a clear distinction between us and the world, like the Bible says. And so we, we're doing self-examination here. We have the Bible in one hand and a mirror in the other hand, and we're looking at our own heart and looking for genuine faith that the Holy Spirit, this gift from God that the Holy Spirit has produced in our life. Has God really worked? And faith is not just a one-time thing, but it is a lifestyle. So what do we look for? Let's, let's get specific. We've been looking at these things for the past few weeks. Um, can we see evidence that the Holy Spirit has worked in our life? What do we look for? There's 11 things, points of evaluation that we need to look at. Uh, self-examination. We've seen eight of them, and I want to just briefly, quickly go through these eight. Number one... We look for a love of God in our life. Do we love God? Or are we still in rebellion against God? Do we love His principles? Or are we uh, still uh, in rebellion against those principles? Don't we really want to work those principles out in our life? What we see in Scripture is that, that we're serving this God not out of a sense of duty and conforming, but out of a sense of love, love for Him. Love for His Word, love for His people, love for His work, the church. Number two, we look for the evidence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in us. And He illumines our mind so that we can, so that He can produce then within us spiritual fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. We're familiar with that. Uh, that is a godly character that is consistent with The holy character of God. So we look for the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Number three, we look for answered prayer. Answered prayer. It's a natural thing for the believer to pray. And and we can pray with confidence knowing that he hears us and he answers our prayers. Whether it's yes or no, he answers that prayer and we move forward with confidence that... uh, that we are in him and assured uh, assurance that we are in him. And we can move forward with grace, in His grace. Number four, we look for a love for Christ and a longing to see Him return. A longing to see Him return. The early church called this Maranatha. Lord, come. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come now. There's an urgency to that. Number five, we look for spiritual discernment in in our lives. We see that John says that we have the Holy Spirit he is now our teacher. He's teaching us these things that that we uh, we can't put under a microscope, but we can say we know for sure. It's because the Holy Spirit affirms these things in our life and gives us confidence uh, to to stand and say, uh, "Thus saith the Lord." We know these things. We have an understanding. It's because the Holy Spirit teaches us these things. In fact, we're told that we have the mind of Christ. We have discernment there. Number six, we must look for genuine desire for holiness. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness, Christ would say. We walk in the light as He is in the light. We, uh, he is in the light. His righteousness and His truth, His holiness is absolute. It never wavers. It is pure. 
And so we walk as the same way He walks. And we cannot walk in darkness and serve the God of light. Number seven, we must look for a decreasing pattern of sin. A decreasing pattern of sin. Or a pattern of sin that's that's uh, decreasing in our life, over the span of our life. Uh, we just don't feel comfortable sinning anymore. We don't have a taste for it. It's kind of like junk food. After a while, you, you want something of substance. We want a, a steak, not just a, a cupcake. We want steak here. There's evidence here that, that we've lost a, a taste for the world and its shallowness and its sinfulness. Number eight, as we look for a pattern of increased obedience. and We live in uh, a love for Him, have a loving relationship with Him. And Christ said, we will keep, if we love Him, we will keep His commandments. And, and so we discipline ourselves to obedience out of, out of love for Him. So an increase of obedience. And that brings us to number nine and ten. And I'm going to put these two together. We'll probably only get to one of them because of the extent of this that I want to show you these things. But both of these are connected. Both of these have to do with the, the distinction of the believer and the world. The distinction of the believer and the world. And First John, he mentions the word world 18 times. In this short little book, he mentions the word 18 times. The world. Now sometimes he uses it in the physical sense. Uh, this this physical earth, uh, they wouldn't think of the globe like we would think of, uh, but uh, just they, that concept maybe wouldn't have been there. They would have thought of it as the good earth, the, the, what the earth produces, this ground. He would have also seen the earth as the or the world as as people, the masses. Uh, we even sing the song. Uh, Jesus loved the little children, all the children of the world, the people of the world. But John also, and you have to look at the context, but John also sees the world as a world system. Like we might see the the world of sports or the world of, of medicine or the world of politics or the world of economics. He sees this, this is a world system. And um, and I want us to understand that system. We have to have a firm understanding of that because John says that we are not to be surprised, brethren, that's Christians, believers, if the world hates you. What is he talking about there? Well, he's talking about this world's system. It's not the, the people necessarily. It's this world's system. And the it's not talking about this earth no, it's the world system. Well, what is this world system and how does it influence us and how are we distinct from that? So I want us to look at this world, this world. And this is a, essentially a theology of the world and how we are distinct from the world. This is what we see. Now, I want to go through these scripture passages. First John chapter five, verse 19 says, we know that we are of God. That is the believers that as John is speaking, he's the elder, he's the apostle John and those who are associated with him, those who are, has, have accepted his teaching and the gospel. He says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. 
That is Satan. He's the father of lies. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us, given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true and who are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. The world then lies in the power of the, of the uh, evil one. That's the, the father of life. He's just cranking out lies. That's what he does. He's, he gives birth to lie after lie after lie. And society buys into those lies. But we, in distinction, we have uh, been given. The Son of God comes and he gives us understanding. He gives us truth. And, and notice that we are, we know, uh, Him who is true. We are in Him who is true. That is the, the true God. Three times there is truth. That's what distinguishes us. So we have Satan and his lies on one side, and we have God and his truth on the other side, and we understand that truth. We are in the realm of truth. Now, so the world is led by Satan under his control, the father of lies, and in contrast, is us who believe and understand the truth. Another verse that we want to look at is 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. This is a passage that we keep coming back to several times. Do not love the world, nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, you see a, a clear, sharp distinction between the believer and the world, the world system. For all that is in the world, now here's some characteristics of the world, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away. Another characteristic is it's passing away. It's temporal. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. In sharp contrast to the world and all of its characteristics of, of the lust of the flesh, the uh, lust and the flesh and, and pride and, and temporalness, we stand in contrast to that by doing the will of God. Doing the will of God. The will of God is in contrast to the world. The world is full of just the flesh and just of lust and pride. Ephesians chapter 2, another passage we have to look at in understanding the world. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and in sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. There's the world system. We were part of that world. And we walked lockstep, just, just right in, in part of that, being part of that world. According to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan himself, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. They're, they're disobeying God. They're in lockstep with what Satan has. They've just bought into Satan's lies in lockstep with him, walking according to, to his dictates and in rebellion, disobedience against God. Verse three, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The world and that world system is still under the wrath of God. We're no longer under the wrath of God. Even as the rest, 
Now look at verse 4. But God. So, so you were like this. You were in lockstep with the world, buying into Satan's lies, rebelling against God. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive. He did the work, the work of the Holy Spirit. He, he created life where there wasn't life there. All of a sudden, we're just born again. There's a distinction from us, between us and the world. Because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ, by grace you have been saved. The world on one side is moving along with uh, the, the course of, of Satan that Satan sets. It's in rebellion against God. It's under the wrath of God. We, on the other hand, are now spiritually alive, in tune with the will of God and doing His work. In a sharp contrast to the world. Number two. Uh, another one, not number two, but number next. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Look at this passage. I hope you're beginning to see this world system and what it what it's like. Even first Corinthians, second Corinthians, chapter four, verse three says. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. That's the world in whose case the God of this world, that's Satan. He is the one that's leading. He is the one that's in control. He's pushing this world along. The God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever. The world is, is the unbeliever. The mind of the unbeliever. So that they, may, they might not see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. That's, they, they live in darkness. The world is a dark place. That whole world system is dark. Who is the, in the image of God? For we do not preach ourselves as Lord and ourselves as your bondservant for Christ's sake, for for God who says light shall shine out of darkness in the one is the one, I'm sorry, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Did you see what happened? We were in that dark world, the characteristic of the world. But, but it is God who's shown in our life the light of what? The light of the gospel. Jesus Christ. And He's shown in our life. We're no longer blind. We completely understand. We're no longer walking in darkness. And the, the thing that made the difference, folks, in our life is just the gospel. It's just the message of Jesus Christ. Of what Christ has done for us. We're no longer blinded by Satan. We're no longer buying into his lies. We see through his lies and we're following a different master now. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. Now, that's, that's the people. The flesh and blood. People. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the, for the destructions of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and lofty things that rise up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive 
to the obedience of Christ. The world, the world is, is sinful people, yes. But the real problem is that they've bought into these lies. These philosophies that the Satan has, has uh, sold them these ideologies and so what we have to do is we have to take every thought captive we have to evaluate everything that's in the world we have to take that every thought captive to the uh, or every thought captive to the obedience of Christ we evaluate things we look at those things those speculations those lofty things those things that are just made up in people's minds that Satan has uh lied to them about, which are fortresses, and, to, and we have to destroy those things. And that can only be done by truth, by truth. And so we are at war, not against the, the flesh and blood people necessarily, we're against the lies that they've bought into, the ideology. And that's where the real battle is. So where the real battle lies. We must evaluate everything through the lens of Scripture. So, let me just summarize this a little bit. The world is a system that's just full of sinful ways of thinking. False religions, false uh, philosophies that exclude God, immorality, uh, things that appeal to the flesh. And Satan is just cranking these things out. And it's appealing to the base nature. In fact, there's there's two parts to this, if you want to just understand the world. There's the, the false doctrine part, the thinking, the way they, they think, but also the flesh. The, the flesh that has been contaminated by sin, they just live in that sinful nature. That's the flesh. Sinful thinking, sinful nature. And we need to understand this, folks. Because we live in sharp contrast to this world. We are not like the world. Uh, we need to understand that God has made us distinct. We also need to understand that there's still a pull, isn't there? There's still a pull toward, toward the world. It's like a, a magnet. There's an appeal there. There's an appeal there. So, here's what I want us to see. What, what do we look at specifically in our life in light of this? We, we look for, in, in my own heart, I look for a growing rejection of worldliness. That whole world system. My body is just, just repulsed by it. It doesn't fit anymore. And, and so you have a growing rejection of worldliness. And I want you to see these things. We'll look at a few verses here. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. <laughs> whatever is born of God, that's us, overcomes the world. And here's the victory that overcomes the world. Our what? Our faith. It's our faith. Now that faith may be small at first, but, but it's there. It, it, it's going to have to grow and, and strengthen, but it's there. Who is the one that overcomes the world? But, the, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the first step. That's the initial part of it. That's the starting point. Belief in Jesus Christ. We've seen past the world, the world's emptiness. We've seen past Satan's lies. And we say, no, we know that's not the case. That's not the truth. So we put that aside and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We're repenting from our sin and turn to, to Him. That salvation. That salvation. That's the distinction 
part right there. It starts with sal- it starts with salvation, but it grows. It's a process. Look at First uh, John chapter four, verse four. You are from God. You are from God, little children. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, or, I'm sorry, the Apostle John. He's in his 90s. He looks at the, as the church, at the church that has grown, that, that is really probably amazing in his eyes. There were just 12 of these guys that were disciples of Jesus Christ. They were kind of following Christ around. And now it's turned into this, this huge church that's spread out all over the place. And, and he's the father of, of these, uh, of these little spiritual children. And, and he's the, He's, he's grown in his faith and he looks in with humility down at uh, what the Lord has done. This amazing work. He says, you are from God. That's, that's an incredible perspective, little children, and have overcome them. Th- that's the people who are selling the lies of Satan. They overcome them. There's a false prophet. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in what? The world. That, that's Satan. Now, what's in us? That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, then, is taking the Word of God, illuminating our heart, and, and causing us to, to be able to come to the point that we're not tripped up by the world anymore. We can overcome the world. Now, again, it starts out salvation, but, but the Holy Spirit then begins to work. And we no longer buy in, then, to the world's system. We saw through it, and we saw past it, uh, at salvation, and the process being our thinking, the way we think. And, and the Holy Spirit then takes the truth of God, applies it to the heart of the people of God, and we begin to change. So there's a, a new realization, new truth that we're learning every day from the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit is, is teaching us every day. And it produces, so you three, see three steps or three levels here. And turn over to 1 John 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 13. 1 John 2, verse 13, you, you see these three levels here. Actually, I'll start at verse 12. I write to you, little children. This is John the elder. He's looking down at this church, what God has done. It's amazing to him. These young saints in the Lord. Because your sins have been forgiven. That's, what, that's all they know. They're little children. Babies, babies in Christ. All they know is my sins have been forgiven. For His namesake. For Christ's namesake. And then he, he jumps to the spiritual mature men. I've written to you fathers. These, these spiritual fathers. Because you know Him. You, you've walked with God. And have this knowing. This close relationship with God. You know Him who is from the beginning. I've written to you Young men. Now this is, this is interesting. So you see the babies. Now he mentions this middle group. He sees the, the, the babies and then the fathers. But this middle group here, these young men, because you have overcome the evil one. That's Satan, his lies, and this whole world system. And you've overcome him. Now how did you jump? How do you move from baby Christian to, uh, to young men? Because you have overcome you have overcome the evil one. I've written to you, children, because you uh, know the father. You, you call him dad, dad. You know that part. Verse 14, I've written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men. So here's our, our middle category again. 
young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. That's the difference. That's what made the difference. The word of God has become strong in your life to the point that Satan's system doesn't trip you up anymore. You're not tripped up by, by those false prophets that come to your knocking at your door. That you see uh, on the streets wearing their white shirts. You're not tripped up by them. You're not tripped up by the, the philosophies that Satan is <clears throat> selling the world. That you see on the commercials on TV. They, they don't trip you up anymore. They, they don't, they're not an appeal to you anymore. And that's what we begin to see. We overcome. That's the idea. We become stronger and stronger in, in the word. This world system then is based upon this rebellion against God, rebellion against God's rule, rebellion against God's glory. And as we grow in Christ, we grow in our affections to Christ. We grow in our understanding of Christ, intellect of Christ. And the world doesn't, it kind of loses its appeal. It doesn't interest us anymore. It, it, the, the, the appeal there is diminished the magnet just doesn't work. It just doesn't work anymore. It's less and less. It just doesn't work. Our understanding of truth grows. The, the world uh, tries to pull us in, but we're not tripped up by the world anymore. And we understand the things of the Lord. We have the mind of Christ. And so we lose that attraction to the world. Lose that attraction. Now, I want you to compare it to an airplane. So you go up to the uh, top of the hill up here. You go to the uh, airport. And this airplane is on the ground. Okay? Airplane is on the ground. But that airplane begins to take off. And it picks up speed. And it, at some point it leaves the ground. It lifts off the ground. It's an amazing thing. I love flight. I love to see that. Just that concept of, of flight. The same thing is happening at the point of salvation, folks. We're lifting off, we're detaching ourselves from this world and this world system. But you can still see that plane for a while and it's growing in elevation until it gets to up to about 35 to 40,000 feet. The distance between that airplane and the world or the, the earth here gets pretty great. But it's a slow process. It takes a while to get up to 35, 30, 40,000 feet. But you can get up there by with the plane. And the same thing has happened in the spiritual world, folks. There's a detachment from the world at the moment of salvation. But there has to be a climb. There has to be that further detachment from the world where the world doesn't trip us up, where the world we're not fooled by the world's by Satan's lies anymore. And that distance between the, the world and the believer just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The natural question then is, how does that happen? <laughs> what do we do? Let me just apply these things very quickly here. How do we do that? One passage that we need to, to be aware of, and this is a comforting passage for us. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, a passage you should know very well. And do not be conformed to this world. Now, we would have to be conformed to the world because our nature has changed. And so we would have to, we would have to conform back to this world because we have a different nature and our nature has changed. So we would be conforming to the world. It would be counter, uh, counter to our nature to be conformed to this world because we have a new nature. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that's the key there. We're, we've been changed. The nature's been changed. But the, the mind still has habits of thinking. The, the ways of processing things. And so we have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew that mind constantly. Changing your thinking. Evaluating everything through the lens of Scripture so that you may prove what is the will of God, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's the life of the believer. Constantly renewing the mind. That's how we do it. That's the process. And, and the appeal of the world as we renew our mind, begin to think like God thinks, we see the world in its foolishness and the world in its um, immorality as just a smelly diaper. Not something we want to be a part of. And, and the distance just grows. We don't think like the world anymore. We don't have the values of the world anymore. We don't have the language of the world anymore. We don't have the same understanding that the world has anymore. Let me give you another one. In 1 John, go back to our 1 John passage. This was a passage that we read earlier, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world nor anything in the world. Now, there gives you an indication here. We, we don't love the world, but boy, there's this temptation, isn't there? We can sure flirt with it. The world can sure lure us back in. And that's, that's the, the case many times. In the past, we're just told to just kind of legalistically um, just stay away from the world and, and isolate ourselves from the world. But that's that's not really the answer. We have to be in the world, but not of the world. Paul uh, Christ said, "We're not to flirt with the world." So, just by by way of application, how does how does that work? In a legalistic model, we we see okay, we see a bad word in a song. Or a bad scene in a movie. Oh, we can't watch that movie. So stop watching the movie. Don't listen to that song. But many times they, they just would go ahead. They, they never address the heart of the issue. And they would buy in the whole philosophy of the song. Maybe not mentioning the particular word. But they would buy into the philosophy of the song. Or the philosophy of the music. Or the philosophy of the, uh, the movie. Um, without addressing the heart. Now, here's the question. There's a question you have to ask. What is the appeal to the world? And we have to be genuine. If we're going to evaluate our heart, we have to look at the world and we see that. Why does that appeal to me? Why does that appeal to me? Why does that, that, um, that dung appeal to me? Why is there a pull in my heart? Is it, is it acceptance? Is it the fear of men? I want to be accepted by the world? Is it the, the covenant covetous eyes that, boy, I want this appealing to this flesh? Or is it, oh man, that's really cool. I want to be like that. That appeal to the flesh. That fleshly lifestyle is essentially what it is. And it's disgusting, but it still has an appeal. Or maybe it's just this pride of, of life that we just don't Deal with a pride in our life. Another question you have to ask then. What, what's, what's going on in the heart there? And the other question you have to ask. Just by way of application here. We're going to draw it to a conclusion here. Is what does the Bible say about these things? 
We could just reject, okay, I'm not going to listen to that song anymore because it has a bad word. But we don't evaluate that song in light of God's word. And we don't think through that and say, okay, this is why this song is bad. This is because it changes the biblical view of sex. It changes the biblical view of parenting. It changes the physical, the uh, biblical view of love, demeans it, puts it on a base level. That movie changes the whole concept of, of the family, changes the whole idea of even old age and, and what older people are to do. It changes the idea of the church. And we have to evaluate, take the Word of God and evaluate the world and say, okay, here's the biblical thinking. I need to renew my mind and think biblically. Think like God does. Now, so you have to ask yourself, can you, can you see past the allure of the world? Do you see the world system? You make sure that we're distinct from that world. You understand that. Then what's the appeal? Evaluate your own life. Evaluate. Okay, what, what, what really is it that appeals to that junk of the world? It's not there. And when we begin to evaluate ourselves and evaluate the world in light of Scripture, we're drawn. The believer, true believer, is drawn to Scripture. Let me leave you with one last passage. And this is Second Peter. Just a few passages. A few uh, a few pages to the left in your Bible if you're in First John, Second Peter chapter 2. Because this is exactly where Lot lived. And this tension between him as a righteous man and the world. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 7. If he, that's God, rescued righteous Lot. So he, he is in control. He, he can rescue righteous Lot. Oppressed, now this is Lot's life, this is the way he, he was living. He was oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men. He was living under that, that, that realm, that, 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 that kind of influence. Unprincipled men. Not, not taking the, the law of God, not interested in the will of God at all. Verse 8, for by what he saw, and heard the music that he listened to, the things he watched on TV, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul uh, turmoiled day after day by their lawless deeds. Now, now, that's where the battle is, isn't it? Taking the Word of God, seeing the way God sees this world, evaluating those things. And, and it's just, it's disgusting. Because we see things from God's standpoint. And God had to destroy the city Lot was living in. He had to rescue Lot out of that kind of situation. He goes on in verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue His righteous, the godly man from temptation. And we are so dependent upon the Lord. The Lord knows the, this, this world system. We need to evaluate ourselves. We need to evaluate the world. Am I seeing things from God's standpoint? Or have I bought into the philosophy of unprincipled men? And if you have bought into the principled of un, uh, the ideas of unprincipled men, you have to ask yourself, why? And if you haven't, you have to praise the Lord. Oh Lord, thank you for allowing me to see through these things. Oh Lord, thank you for this word, this truth that gives me confidence in a world that I'm living counter
cultural too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for uh, just the clarity of Scripture. Thank you, Lord, for just showing us our place here. Being in the world, but, but not of the world. Lord, help us to be not of the world. Not of the world in our thinking. Not the world's values. Not the world's direction of life. Lord, help us to see it for what it is and hate it. Help us to turn from it and and decrease our worldliness in our own life. Lord, the world has indoctrinated us very well. May we may we purge ourselves from this world's indoctrination. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.